With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. So what made you write a novel? I mean, right, right. People should have writing a novel is not an easy thing. Like you have to sit in front of a keyboard for a year or so. And, 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 you know, I feel, always feel like, and I, and I write a lot, but humans aren't really made to like just hit keys all days, all day long. Well, tell that to Stephen King and, and it's tell that to, you know, James Mishner who, who wrote like every novel was 900 pages, but, um, yeah, but, um, what made me write a novel? Um, well, you know, uh, I just, another way to express myself, as you saying, multiple income streams, multiple, you know, just trying to try everything. Now I could have written another screenplay and I've written those, but the problem with the screenplay is if nobody wants to produce it, uh, you don't have anything, but a novel, you have something, you can sell it. People can see it. Um, you have an, a finished product and a screenplay is, play is not a finished product. Somebody has got to invest a million dollars or whatever it is into making it. And now I could have written a memoir. But a lot of comedians have written memoirs, and um, I just wanted to do something that hasn't been done quite as often. What about something like what, what Jim Gaffigan or Jerry Seinfeld do, which is they basically write their jokes in book form? Uh, you know, you can see in, in, let's say, Jim Gaffigan's book, Food, like every line is a, is a joke. Every sentence is, has a punchline. And of course, I think that's great for com famous comedians to do and they have a following that's going to buy their books. But, um, for me, I don't think anyone's going to buy a book from a comedian that they don't know that's basically their act or their memoir. So I try figure a novel if it, you know, I mean, you don't have to be famous to, for, for people to buy your novel because I mean, most novels don't sell that much, but theoretically it could, you know, um, I don't the know. The average novel sells yeah. 300 copies. Right, yeah. So, it, But the average memoir of a non-famous person probably sells even less. Yeah. I don't know. I, I will say, like, stylistically, you made some really interesting choices, I felt. Like, first off, you go back and forth between normal third person, third person omniscient, first person, and then there's the structural aspect of telling the story, but also going back and forth with the memoir, which... Normally, I would say that particular part doesn't. On, in other novels, I've seen that not work so well, but with yours, it, it really worked well because it always the the memoir chapters were flowing with what was happening in the story. So it was just a different way of continuing the story, which I thought was very good. Like I thought stylistically, it was a very kind of mature written book. Like how how long did it take you to write it? Um, I started before the pandemic. And it's called Iris Spiro before COVID. So you would have thought that I wrote it with the pandemic in mind, but I really didn't. I wrote it 
I started writing it before the pandemic and finished it during the pandemic, probably about a year and a half total writing. And then there was editing and all that. So maybe two years from, from beginning to end. But I started writing it before the pandemic, not knowing how it was going to end. And the pandemic came along and I said, well, I can't ignore the, because it took place in the present. It takes place like from the recent past up to the present. So I said, well, the pandemic is so big. I called my friend Narit Koppel, who's a writer and an actress. And I said, do you think I can ignore the pandemic? You know, if it takes place. And she said, no, maybe you can end it with the pandemic. And so I took her advice and I ended it as the pandemic is beginning. Um, and, and the whole time I was struggling to find, what am I going to call this thing? The pandemic came along and then I, I found my title, Iris Spiro Before COVID. I also like, though, the title mentioned in the book, Ira Spiro, Superhero, I thought was funny, although you repeatedly say in in the, your main character, Ira, in the book, repeatedly says he doesn't like that title. Well, his friend, uh, his, one of his friends, his friends call, his fellow comedians says, Ira, here a superhero, Ira Spiro, Superhero. That's sort of her nickname for him, and he doesn't really like it, but but um, yeah, just one of the characters that, that calls him that. Why doesn't he like it? Well, I don't Which know if he hates saying... it. I just, he thinks it's stupid, I guess. I don't know. Um... And so and you also made a decision, which I agree with, to self-publish. I think anybody, I think everybody should self-publish. I think going through a traditional publisher where you have to wait year, A, you have to get chosen, and that's a grueling process. And then B, you have to wait years before it actually comes out, years after you write it. So I think it's smart to self-publish. But why did you choose that Well, route? for the reasons you said, I mean, I didn't feel like waiting say a year, two years, three years to find a, first you got to get an agent, then you got to get a publisher. And this is if all goes well, assuming you can get an agent and assuming they can sell it to a publisher. And then the publisher might take two years to publish it. So for those reasons that you just articulated with, with the reasons, I guess, impatience, I guess, more than anything else. Also was Iris Vero before COVID. I want to write it. I want to get it out there whilst COVID right. is still, I mean, COVID is going to be relevant probably for another 10 years at least. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's become an important part of history. So I don't know that it's necessarily going to become stale. However, I did want to get it out there whilst COVID was still a thing because COVID's in the title and it's, and the end of the novel is the beginning of COVID, you know? Yeah. And, and, you know, by the way, most, uh, I think in general, self-published books do in fact sell more copies on average than mainstream published books. Most people don't know that. I, I didn't and know it, that. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say the median, not the average, but the median, uh, which is more important because, you know, like Harry Potter will sell a billion copies, uh, you know, but, but, but like five books and main mainstream published will sell, you know, a million copies, but there are a lot of self-published books that do well among their niche fan bases in, in, and sell in a million part, copies. In part because people that self-publish are often, often know that they have a fan base or, or a means to, um, to uh, promote them. But like, I wouldn't have self-published if I didn't have access to uh, an audience literally every night of the week and to say, Dan Natterman, he buys a book on Amazon. You know, I couldn't hand out, if I couldn't hand out cards to people in the audience that came up to me and said, we love your comedy, if I couldn't come on shows like this, then I probably wouldn't have self-published because I'd know that I had no means of promotion because promotion is so important. But because I can do those things and I can go to shows and and promote the book and go on podcasts and promote the book and maybe get on Fallon or or Corden or Colbert and promote the book. So I, I, I made the decision with those things in mind. So I think a lot of people that self-publish, they, they self-publish because they know they can promote it. 
Yeah, and also you have more tools to, to promote it. So like, like let's say, so I go back and forth, but let's say I self-publish a book. I can make a deal with someone who has a large audience and say, look, if I do this, 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 like add extra chapters or throw in something else, will you promote this to your email list? And I give you a cut. Like I'm able to make business decisions around the book if I self-publish as opposed to if I publish with like, you know, a random house, you can't really make deals about. Right. And that's in your where, and that's your wheelhouse. I mean, in, in your case, your business is your wheelhouse more so than mine. So, you, you know, that the fact that you get to control your own promotion, uh, is good for somebody like you, who's, who's, who does that, you know, that's something that you, that you're good at. When did it come out or when's it coming out? I mean, I, I have a copy. It's out, it's out on Amazon and also barnesandnoble.com, but mainly it's on Amazon. Iris Biro before COVID, just you, you can uh, search for it on Amazon and you can also read three or four sample chapters on Kindle if you want. And dur- during, so obviously some of this you were writing during the lockdowns last year and so on, but during the lockdowns, and I, and I know I see in the, in the book, I- Iris Biro does at least one Zoom comedy session, but what were you doing? during COVID, where'd you go? Did you stay in New York? I was mostly in New York. I did go to Aruba a couple of times, you know, Aruba Ray. I don't know if yeah. you know Ray. Yeah, I know. I was, he, he produces shows down there. So I did that and you had to, you had to get uh, tested to get in and had to get tested to get out. But other than that, once you're in Aruba, it's pretty good. Cause it's the weather's so good that you could be outside all the time. And you the were performing were there? Inside. Yeah, we were performing there. So, but during the day you're outside you, and, and unlike in New York at the time, cause I was there during the winter, you, you, the, the restaurants were closed because they didn't want anybody inside or if they were open, you ha- I don't know, they, they were distancing, but in Aruba, everything's warm weather. So you can always go to dinner. You can go to a bar that's outside. I think that's why so many people moved South during this period is because most of those States were a bit more open than New York. New York was almost draconian in it's, uh, keeping people indoor, you know, keeping people out of stores and restaurants and shutting everything down. Uh, you know, I don't know if you remember, but stand up New York, even like sued the state of New York, uh, yeah. to, to open up because they weren't opening up, they were opening up other places, but not comedy clubs. How's, um, how's Noam doing? How's the comedy seller? Well, the comedy seller is pretty much back, you know, uh, but first of all, it's completely open and without restrictions, but you do have to present a vaccine card at the door. Uh, but once you're in, you, the, the seats are close together and everything is as, as, as it was. The only thing is, is that because there's less tourists in New York, so there maybe isn't always full every show. Maybe it's full half the shows and the other half are 90% full. It's not 100% back to where it was, but it's mostly back to where it was. And um, so, yeah, so, you know. Um, and and the Vegas room, there's a comedy cellar in Vegas, and that's back open, but I'm not sure if it's at 100% capacity or not. And they're using a lot of local acts. What, what if, uh, like, like I just had COVID, so I'm not supposed to take a vaccine for the next 90 days, something like that. I, I don't know. Each doctor says something different. So I, I can't go to New York city right now. Cause I can't go anyplace. Well, no, the seller will let you in with it, with it, with a negative test, I think, or I mean, yeah, I, I think if you have a negative test, you can get into the comedy seller too, or a vaccine, one or the other, but I'm not exactly sure. No, and I, I didn't, sp- by the way, I was supposed to speak at some conference and Instead, now they, they are requiring me to do Zoom because of the vaccine mandate. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's like, wow. Um, yeah, I didn't know. I, first of all, I didn't know that if you had COVID, you couldn't get vaccinated right away. I didn't realize that. You would think there would be some sort of exemption for 
Because you have the antibodies, right? Isn't that just as good? Yeah. Or, or even it's better. better. As yeah, if it's at least well, for the next 90 days, it's better. Well, I assume that, uh, I know that Noam allows people in. Oh, then again, there's a new rule out in New York that, uh, that you, you know, that you had to be, like, Noam was doing it anyway. He was asking for vaccine cards before the mandate in New York. But now that there's a mandate in New York, I don't know if that's changed things. I'm not sure. I Gnome think really hate this mandate stuff. That this is not gnome style. He doesn't mind the man. I mean, look, he'd rather there not be COVID to begin with. Sure. But if the, given that there is COVID, no, he doesn't mind. <laughs> he doesn't mind G given that COVID exists, which again he'd rather it didn't. So what? What's the next step? And so right so I, I also well just to, to to finish your question about what I was doing the pandemic. I also started learning guitar, but then I, after six months, I gave up. Like, I was really going at it yeah, pretty hard. And then six after six months, all of a sudden, I said, eh, I don't feel like doing this anymore. And I just stopped playing. Maybe I'll get back to it. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people felt the urge to, like, learn something new. And, you know, you, YouTube, they would watch instructional YouTube videos. I yeah, felt it was like, like learning on YouTube. Yeah, yeah I, felt like, I felt like playing the piano during COVID, but I never really pursued it. You know, so, to get really, really good, it takes so much time. And if I say, you know, maybe I'll just watch videos of people that play well and sing along <laughs> in, instead of learning how to uh, do it myself. I was having a lot of fun with it, but then it's all of a sudden just, eh, eh. You know, I stopped wanting to do it. I don't know why. Um, I can't quite explain it. I think it's easy to lose passion for things. Like, you know, you do something for six months, and then if, you don't, if, it's, if you're not making, I think progress fuels pa passion. So if you're making progress, you feel more passionate because you see results. But if, you're, if your progress is not as good as you would like it to be, it's very easy to lose passion. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. And um, I think that's what separates, you know, the great... I, well, I was talking about this with Noam, who is a musician, and and he was saying that that the people that, that are, you know, the brilliant musicians, they, all, they, they had natural talent because if they didn't, they wouldn't have pursued it. Like, in other words, it's hard work, but you have to have enough talent such that you're progressing, as you said, because if you weren't, you wouldn't commit five hours a day. Like, you know, like Jimi Hendrix, they say, used to go to the bathroom with his guitar because he just always wanted to be playing. But he, I think he had to have enough natural talent such that he was making enough progress to inspire that level of dedication. Right. Well, I think it all feeds each other because obviously talent isn't the full story. There's probably no professional anybody of anything who th thrives on just talent. It's like 1% talent, 99%, you know, working the skills. Like you have to, Jimi Hendrix had some talent, but he still brought the guitar to the bathroom all day long. So, so you need, you need to work at it, but you also need the, the, the passion to continue because you know, from comedy, anything worth doing is going to suck for a, a really long time. And even 20 years into it, you're probably, probably it still occasionally sucks. <laughs> like it's not like if you play tennis, sometimes you're going to lose. If you play the guitar, sometimes you're not going to do it as well as you like, even if you're, you know, the best professional in the world. If you're a comedian, no matter how long you've been doing it, sometimes you're going to just bomb. Yeah. And it's, it's not about like, I've never heard someone, I've never heard someone say about comedy, uh, I'm happy every single time on stage. Uh, like maybe you feel good about yourself that you're good at something and that you're progressing at something, but I don't think, I don't think difficult things are necessarily happy things. Like how often are you miserable doing comedy? Um, 
you know, like I said, when I'm doing um, out of town at a club, I'm I'm anxious. Um, but when I in New York, when I'm at the comedy cellar or the local clubs, or you know, stand up New York or Westside, whatever club it is, um, I'm usually enjoying it. You know, um, but yeah, sometimes you you don't. Sometimes they're not laughing. Sometimes you're not doing well, and so that does happen. You know. But but and I don't. But you, it doesn't affect my self esteem. It affects my enjoyment, but not my self esteem because I know that this is an outlier. I know well. Usually it works, and this time it's not working. So I don't. I don't say to myself, "I I stink," because I know that it, the nine out of ten or ninety nine of a hundred performances do are good. What about when you were first starting? Like your first couple of years, your batting average was probably a little bit lower. Yeah, but my also you know, self esteem then. You know, oddly enough. I don't remember. I think I just had lower standards so that if they were kind of laughing a little bit, I would say, oh my God, I'm, I'm making people laugh. And I didn't realize that the laughter was at a low level. I think I was deluded. I think I was sufficiently delusional and it carried me. And then as you get better, you insist on just light laughs are no longer sufficient. You need roars. You need explosions to get the same level of satisfaction. And obviously you're getting that now. Well, Frequently, you know, depending on where you're at. And some audiences, they don't explode. You know, if you're performing for an older crew, say, at a synagogue fundraiser or something like that, then you may not get the same explosiveness that you get at the comedy cellar on a Saturday night. But you adjust, you know. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. 
But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be... VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of, because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like, I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely gotta use him from now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at Hims dot com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hims.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hims.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Have you ever heard of a Dunning-Kruger bias? Yeah, I have heard of that. Yeah, I have heard. I just don't know what it is, but I've heard of it. It's a cognitive bias that, that makes you think that you're better than you are. So for instance, nine out of 10 Americans 
think they're an above average driver, mm-hmm. which is impossible. Like only right. four out of 10 are above average, but nine out of 10 think there are. And people usually say Dunning-Kruger's is a bad thing because it may, it, it, it's like, it's your brain lying to you. Oh, you're, you're, it's telling you you're great at something when you're not really great. But I actually find Dunning-Kruger bias to be an inc- incredibly valuable because it, it keeps you, it keeps you in the driver's seat trying to get better at something longer than you would have if you realized that you sucked. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, well, so that's in what the I'm saying. Of, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, in the beginning of doing something, you keep going because you think you're great. Only later you realize, oh, right. I wasn't great then. And I, I sucked. I hear it all the time. Comics will say, I cannot believe, you know, I'm embarrassed that, you know, that, that my first special or my first letterman or my first cone, and I look at them like, oh my God, this is horrible. But none of us thought it was horrible at the time. So, yeah. so it's exactly what you're saying, you know? Um, plus our standards get higher, you know? It probably wasn't that horrible, but it was definitely not that good. You know, my first TV appearance, for example. But I thought it was the greatest thing ever. You know, I mean, my first time on stage, it was in front of my friends, but they were laughing. And I said, well, I, you know, I, I, I thought I was great because I'm, I, I, I was getting laughs, even though it was people I knew. Well, and you know, when you were on, uh, you were on America's Got Talent in 2014, and you're hilarious. I forgot what, how high did you go? I was in the, the semi, you know, the semifinals or whatever. I guess I guess it was the semifinals. I think is so. that the most a comedian's done in America's? No, Cup no. Tom Cotter went to uh, he 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 uh, finished second place, and Josh Blue right now is is like in the I think in the top five or something. So you no, know, people have gotten nobody. No comedians ever won America's Got Talent, and I really don't think America's Got Talent is a good venue for stand up comedy. Um, it's more about music. Music and dancing and anything that have a kind of mass appeal. Comedy is very, I mean, I made this point backstage when I was doing America's Got Talent. I said, you know, if Celine Dion or any of the top singers, you know, who are the best singers in the world, whatever, I don't know, you know, Whitney Houston, but when she was around, if they had come on America's Got Talent, they'd have, they'd have crushed it. You know, the best dancers, the best musicians, the best singers in the world, if they did America's Got Talent, would crush it. But would would Louis C.K. crush America's Got Talent? I don't think necessarily he would. First of all, he many of his jokes, the network would say you can't do it. And, you know, the ones he did. Oh, did you have to run your jokes by the network before you performed Yes, them? they tell you, no, you can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. This is too controversial. This is, you know, politically incorrect. This is, you, you, you say a bad word. So you're hamstrung that way. And then on a given night, you know, if an audience might not, I've seen great comedians not do well, you know. I've Mitch Hedberg used to bomb, um, you know. I've seen a tell, you know, not do well. So on a given night, you just never know. Whereas if you hit the right notes in a song, I think you're kind of. I don't think they're always going to like that. But a comedian, yeah. you just never know. It's it's funny you just said that about the musicians because again, that's something that Ira in the book talks about mm-hmm. is like if 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 music has, has the same effect on the audience as comedy. And I just, I hear your voice in this, in this book all throughout, like, and, and the reason I could say you and Ira, the main character are neurotic is like, you're noticing all of these offbeat, uh, details about things that I wouldn't normally notice. I think a lot, and, and I think I'm somewhat neurotic as well. And I hope I'm not insulting you by saying, you perhaps are even more. And I could feel that in the character. No insult taken. I, I, I could feel that in the character because you, you're, you're, you, you. Well, yeah, the character makes the point that a musician 
if he's singing so a song that the people already love, they're going to like the song. Like, you know, if, if they're singing a song that's a top 40 hit and they're singing it well, the audience is going to appreciate it. But a comic is doing jokes that they've never heard before. So you just don't know. You, yeah. you know, you just, you, you, there's no guarantee that when I come out there with a joke that the audience has never heard, that they're going to like it. But if I come out and I sing a song that, that's a, a huge hit song, and if I, I have to sing it well, obviously, but if I do sing it well, it's pretty much guaranteed it's going to go over. Yeah, I've, sometimes I always think that that is the best job, is being like a great musician. Because you get, you're making everybody happy. You're filling stadiums with like millions of people. And it's just a, probably a great experience. Like, imagine being like Bono from U2. Uh, yeah, like, I, I, and that guy's performing. He must be feeling so good. But you know what? I think, and I've always thought that too. Like, how, how could there be anything better than being on stage singing an amazing song? And yet, my guess is, human nature being what it is, is that these guys, after a certain time, they're, they're on stage like, oh, Christ, how many more songs do I got to do? You know, I, I just think human nature doesn't allow for that level of happiness at a sustained level, so that by the time Billy Joel's at the 20th show of his tour, he's like, oh, Christ, do I have to sing Piano Man again? You know, there, if you watch the Eagles documentary, uh, one of, I, there might have been more than one, but there was one where, um, what's his name? Uh, Randy Meisner. And, and, and they, he, he, they said, you got to sing Take It to the Limit, you know, but that's his song that he sings. And he's like, I don't want to, and I don't think I can hit the high notes, and I, I'm tired of the song. And Don Henley's like, I'm fucking tired of all these songs too. But you, you know, I come and I do the songs and you got to do this. So he wasn't <laughs> thrilled to be singing Take It to the Limit. And, and they got to be sick of doing Hotel California because that's probably the most requested song in all of history. I, I assume so, yeah. So, you know, they probably want to do their new stuff. You know, these, these, these musicians, you know, they probably want to do their new stuff, but they know the audience wants to hear the old stuff. Well, I think that's what separated out Bob Dylan from a lot of musicians is that he writes in his uh, memoirs that uh, he knew he could have gone in the stage that the popular, that pop music was going, but he just wanted to do his stuff. And, you know, particularly later on in his career, people just didn't like it as much, but he still wanted to do it. He had enough confidence and self-awareness to, to just keep doing what he wanted to do. I mean, I suppose if, if money had been an issue, he might have he might have gone the other way, but he was sufficiently well well off, I guess, that he could make those that choice, you know. But um, are you performing tonight? Well, tonight is Yom Kippur, and I will be fasting. And I'm not religious. Um, I don't know why I fast. I it's just I feel guilty if I don't, and so I won't be performing. No. Um, are you supposed to ask me for forgiveness now because you're it's Yom Kippur? Well, I don't. I think I, I think I've always been. Nice to you, but if I haven't, then then I do ask. No, you you have. You've always been a. But no, I'm not religious, James. So I don't ask for forgiveness because I don't I I don't believe in you know in in that there's somebody up there with a book judging us and writing down will we live this year, will we die this year. But for some reason, I feel the need to do certain things. I've just grew up with fasting, you know, at least since I was a teenager. I didn't do it when I was little. I guess some things feel more cultural. Than religious like you've been doing something all your life and it doesn't really seem to have a religious flavor to it and there's nothing wrong with fasting i mean i'm the same way although i didn't even know it was yom kippur tonight until you just told me yeah well you're worse than i am but 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 on the other hand you um i don't know you you have children so you were fruitful and multiplied so you you, you know you've done that that's which is the highest duty i think so you've already done the highest duty 
even though your kids aren't Jewish, so maybe you, maybe you didn't. Do yeah, that, no, I, the, 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 I I failed as a Jew in many respects. I I my kids are not Jewish, and I've gone broke many times, so I'm automatically disqualified from services of all sorts. So, so Dan Natterman, author of Ira. I, for some reason, I have a hard time saying the name. Ira Spiro. A lot of people say uh, Shapiro, but it's Spiro. Ira Spiro, before COVID. Great novel. It's actually the first novel I've read in, in a while. And I really do think it was, a, it was a page turner. I loved not only the comedy stuff and the, the stuff that reminded me of you, but just, just a great story. And, and you have, you know, plots overlaying each other, which is, and, and, and just, I think it's, very unique how you wrote it like stylistically i always like when people take experiment experiments that but it still doesn't seem experimental and i think that the the style in which you wrote this and and the, the choices you made were serve the book well people should get it it's also just a great novel about the life of a comedian if, if nothing else but it's again beyond that great story great characters and so on so i highly recommend people get it thanks so much for for coming Thank on the you. show Good yeah, I haven't seen you in two years since before COVID. Thanks again, Dan. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Your teams are buried in manual work. Tasks are taking forever to complete and getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, then you should know these three numbers, 37,000. That's the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. One. Because your business is one of a kind. Get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. With NetSuite, it's everything you need to grow, all in one place. Get your business back to the greatness where it belongs. Learn more at netsuite.com slash podcast 25.